And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Baseball Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to the Athletic Baseball Show for Friday, November 3rd. This is Stephen Nesbitt filling in for Derek Van Riper, who's traveling to the Arizona Fall League, where Keith Law just was. And I'm here, as always, with Keith Law. On this episode, we're going to look back at the 2023 World Series. There will be spoilers. Heads up. If you haven't caught up, we'll take a look at the road ahead for both the D-backs and the Rangers. And later in the show, we'll talk a little bit about the guys who are now just becoming free agents. Uh, many for the first time. Keith, how you doing? Good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I enjoyed the series, but I have to say, after some late nights live blogging and 5 a.m. wakeups with with the infant, uh, yeah. game, ending in game five was okay with me. But I, that was kind of leads me to my to my first uh, question was, this was such an impressive series uh, for the Rangers. What they did against the Astros, what they did against the, uh, I mean, everybody, right? The Orioles and, and yeah. everyone along the way. But this very easily could have been a Houston and, and Philly series, right? They both got to game seven. It could have, uh, maybe it's still going on at this point if that were the case, but we got what we got. And I think it was a better series than it will be remembered for. Game one yes. was was incredible, right? Corey Seager takes Paul Seawald deep. Adolis Garcia yep. wins it. That could have gone the other way. Uh, the D-backs might've had a chance in game four, if not for Miguel Castro um, being unable to finish off uh, Geraldo Perdomo, he puts a change up in the dirt, scores the first run, leaves the five runs in that inning, mm-hmm. and then Christian Walker the next inning boots a, a double play ball, and that turns into five yeah. more runs. So, um, and then game five was was a nail biter until the very end with Zach Gallon finally showing like Zach Gallon form. Oh my God, and, yes, uh, that had the potential to go down as had the potential to go down as an all time performance. It, it actually, I mean, we can we don't have to talk about this, but the decision to leave him in for a third time through the order, but he hadn't given up a hit, right? How do you, at that point, and with a, with a very well-used, like heavily used bullpen too, I, I'm not criticizing the decision, but think of how differently we would be talking about him if he doesn't give up the hit, doesn't give up a run, et cetera, gets pulled before that, right? He was, for six innings, as good as anybody we've ever seen pitch in a World Series, I would say, particularly yeah. given who he was facing. Um, and there's a part of me too that's like, I'm glad that was Zach Gallon's last playoff appearance because we didn't see the same Zach Gallon the last couple of times. The, the real Zach Gallon. This is who he is. Yeah, it was. I think they made the right le- move to leave him in um, because you would get yeah. absolutely ruined if you Blake Snell that situation and the bullpen blew it because yeah. because Paul Sewald, I guess the Rangers had his number in this in this series and and so I think they made the right move. I I, I agree with you. I'm glad that we had that that gallon-esque performance because um, Merrill Kelly had certainly showed up. Uh, even Brandon mm-hmm. Vaught had shown up, but we were waiting for, for Zach yeah. Gallon. Um, as I look at this postseason, you know, we're always trying to pull something from the postseason. What was the the, the, the thing that a team leaned into the trend that we're going to pick up and, and move forward with some magic formula, leverage relievers, uh, bringing a starter out of the bullpen. What, what do we have here? And I, I'm not sure 
that there is one to glean here. I think maybe the lessons learned um, maybe are more impactful than the, the formula to steal. Maybe the lesson is that you can survive without a third starter for the first couple rounds of the playoffs. Yeah, how about if, that? <laughs> if you don't have a if you don't have a fourth starter, you're going to get exposed eventually. And and both kind of didn't have a fourth starter, though the, the Rangers ultimately um, did benefit from having traditional starters in the pen. John Gray, Andrew Heaney, Dane Dunning uh, helped yes. them out. And whereas the Diamondbacks didn't really, except for the one time we saw Ryan Nelson uh, really really step up in a in a in a blowout and keep that game you know within like striking distance kind of i would even take that i like i hadn't thought about that until you just brought it up too but you know one of my main criticisms of rob thompson who's like untouchable around here in philly was he actually had two long men actual starters in his bullpen taiwan walker and michael lorenzen and was it walker never pitched and lorenzen only pitched once I think in that series against Arizona, he had situations where going to a long man would have made sense. And, you know, 30, 40 years ago, that's just, that was obvious. You didn't even think twice about it. And Bochi, I don't think he was perfect at all, but he did seem to get, I have length in the bullpen and in general went to those guys, whether it was to get a longer start or to just try to soak up more than three outs out of the bullpen. And, the Phillies lost for a couple of reasons, but that I thought was one of them was that Thompson just didn't treat. He had two long men on the roster and didn't treat them that way. And if there is one thing maybe to take away if we're looking for smaller lessons, maybe that's one of them is that in an era of hyper specialization, going longer with some of your relievers, you know, up to nine, nine outs, certainly, or nine batters, at least would be an advantage. And particularly if you're in, you know, I thought Lavulo, I actually think Lavulo managed a great series. I thought he was of the last four managers we saw going back to the LCSs. I thought he did the best job. Um, they just got outplayed, but he was pretty good. Actually, in most situations he really, I think did do a lot of the right things with his bullpen and was trying to get length where he could recognizing also that he was short staffed relative to relative to Texas and, and, um, and relative to the Phillies as well. Yeah, and you're you're hung out to dry if you don't have a four start. We're gonna get to that in a minute. Mike Hazen had some thoughts yeah, yeah. about his own decisions at the trade deadline to not go get another starter. I saw, um, yeah, yeah, which which I like to take. We all said they needed another starter, and it actually worked out better than they could have anticipated. But if you're going to game yes. four with Joe Mantiply on the mound in the first inning, followed by Castro and Salford, I don't remember who all was out there. I think I think Ryan Nelson was the second Nelson and like the fourth fourth or fifth pitcher to come into that game, and he ends up carrying. Yeah, there were like four much guys named Nelson, right? <laughs> I and think Russ Ortiz Sal. pitched at one point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, so so anyway, two years ago, these two teams were both a hundred loss teams. That's going to be a topic that uh, gets a lot of attention. I'll even give it some attention in the in the coming days. Um, so with the so with the Orioles, they figured it out. They did it very different ways. The Rangers spent a half billion dollars on their middle infield, and they got a ring. It nothing matters except the ring. It, it all pays it for itself. Likes fly forever. The Diamondbacks mostly traded and developed these guys so it's a different yeah. way is there anything you think other teams non-playoff teams try to take from what these two were able to do i mean i hope the big lesson is there's a reward for investing in your product because if you look at the rangers in particular like the diamondbacks were they were outscored on the season They're the lowest win total i think of any of the 12 playoff teams so i don't know that you can take huge lessons from them i think the errors the diamondbacks are in good shape going forward they just kind of got there early, um, not taking anything away from them, just that, you know, things broke their way in October. 
whereas Texas, to me, that is the classic. We're developing. We are. We've drafted and we are building a stronger club. We're building a really strong farm system. They've been drafting better. They've been doing really well internationally. They seem to be developing better than they have in quite some time. And they chose ownership and Chris Young when he took over as GM. They made a pretty clear choice too. The young talent is coming. We're going to go spend now so that when the young talent shows up, we're already ready. We're already improving. That to me, I, I hope that's the real takeaway and that more clubs look at it that way and say, we'll go pay for, especially for high end talent. They were not swimming very much in the shallow end of the free agent pool. Um, they went after stars. And then when Josh Young came up, when Evan Carter came up, my God, Evan Carter got there sooner than anybody expected. Yeah. The young players started showing up. It's like, oh, there's already a pretty good team in place here. Leody Tavares has his breakout year. Hey, next year it's Wyatt Langford. Right? They're going to have the four, the basically four outfielders. So I think they'll probably cycle through the three outfield spots in DH because they've got the opening anyway. You just look at that club and say, well, it's a great mix of homegrown and outside talent. And the farm system also allowed them to go out and make some deadline acquisitions. And they gave up some pretty good players. The guys they traded, they traded Cole Reagans for um, Aroldis Chapman, which, you know, they got the ring. So it's it, it's going to no one's going to criticize the trade. Cole Reagans look pretty damn good <laughs> afterwards. And the guys they traded for Jordan Montgomery, I like quite a bit. That all happens because they chose to do almost these parallel tracks. We're going to draft and develop or sign and develop. And then we're going to spend and we're going to spend sooner. We're not going to wait for the young talent to get there, which I think is kind of Baltimore situation where they haven't really spent. They have built like nobody in you know, what really yeah, go back to Houston. Actually, this when this group was in Houston, they have built as well as anybody. It's time for them to spend. And that may be on ownership more than anyone else. They're going to have to go out and spend whether free agency or, or trading for more expensive players. They need to go out and acquire more pitching in particular. And I wonder if anyone in Baltimore looks at Texas and says, that's the one thing we could do differently. Not that Baltimore's done wrong, but the, just look at Texas and say, that's the one thing we can change to have a better chance in the postseason next year. It did nothing wrong in the regular season, but I do think their pitching issues were exposed pretty quickly in October. And that's the one thing I could say that Texas did quite differently. Yeah, it's something that I think we actually seen quite a bit of lately with teams looking at their window of contention based on when their core is expected to arrive, the internal guys. And <clears throat> I think you need to adjust and say, let's maybe let's start the spending a year early. So the, yes. the 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 drawback story is the Tigers who thought they were close and they went and spent a bunch of money unwisely and they weren't close. And so they never got there. But the Cubs, yeah. they went and got Stroman at a time when people are saying, why are you spending money on Marcus Stroman? You were coming off a terrible season. We just, you know, just recently got rid of the previous core, but turns right. out, yeah, they were very close to being a playoff team this year. And they still um, had to do some spending around that, you know, bringing Cody Bellinger. We'll get to him later in the show. And then you, and you see, yeah, Baltimore, I think they had their time for when the, their, their window of contention and we expected they were going to be in contention. We didn't think they'd be the best team in the, the American league this year. Right. But what if you had gone out and brought in um, a premier starter? So you, instead of Kyle Gibson or alongside Kyle Gibson, you have an actual number one, number two, um, so that you're not counting on Grayson Rodriguez to give you a full full rookie season, which he was great in the second half. But yeah, I didn't mm -hmm. have it um, initially. And so I do think that 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 lesson can be can be learned from this postseason that um, don't just project where, you know, where your internal core is ready and plan for that date. Plan a little bit in advance so that you can 
Um, you can be there. And if you realize you're behind the eight ball, like the Rangers and the, the Diamondbacks did, go do something at the trade deadline to make up for that. Orioles did a yeah, little no. bit, right? They got Jack Flaherty. But did they yes. go out like the Rangers did and and get Rollis Chapman to get Max Scherzer, to get uh, Jordan Montgomery? Uh, the, the Diamondbacks didn't get a starter. We'll get back to that once again. We're teasing that one hard. Uh, but they went and got Paul Seawald, a closer, uh, a bona fide closer, and which they, they mm-hmm. flipped through six guys over the course of the season. And so they needed one, and they got Tommy Pham. So they, they, they did work at the trade deadline, even if they didn't get that number one piece. I think that's a way you can catch yourself up and supplement, even if maybe you didn't go hard enough in the offseason and, and realize your team's actually ready. Yeah, and I, I liked the Flaherty acquisition. I didn't know he was going to, you know, I don't know if there's a health issue going on there. He just was not good. Obviously, when he got to Baltimore, he was much worse after the trade deadline in ways I don't think anybody anticipated. Obviously, the Orioles didn't anticipate it or they wouldn't have traded for him. Uh, and still would like to see, hopefully, Flaherty go somewhere else next year and gets a little bit of a reset, too, because I think he's a much better pitcher than what he showed, particularly in Baltimore. But also, they weren't, again, they weren't targeting high-end guys. They made one trade, I think, last winter to add a starting pitcher, and it was Cole Irvin. I didn't love the trade. Also, they give up a prospect I really like, Darnell Hernaiz, who had a great year in the Oakland system. He was a holdover from from the previous regime also, and I think that's a little bit of why he was not one of the Orioles' core guys, too. They, what we have not really seen is Michael Elias and company trading one of their um, their big prospects, uh, Colton Kowser, uh, Joey Ortiz, you know, some guy, these guys have a lot of value. Joey Ortiz has been a top 100 guy for me once or twice already. Uh, you know, Colton Kowser, not on my top 100, but certainly on like MLB pipeline had him on theirs. These are good prospects. You, you, you should get quite a return for them. And, but they, we haven't seen them do that yet. And that is a move they're going to have to make. And I, you I, I understand. I've been in a front office. The, you're, it's like that's our guy. Right? We drafted that guy, right? There is always a little bit of a, a bias, a little emotional attachment. But at some point, they're just to me. They've been unbalanced for a while. They are so good at drafting, developing, identifying position players, and but you, you can only play nine of them. And so at some point, you're going to have to flip some of them for pitching, which they had largely eschewed in the draft, at least. And it's fine if that's a strategy, but at some point they're going to have to try to go get some of those higher end starters. Because I think, I feel like you and I may have even talked about this after their their loss in the first round of the, or their first round of the playoffs where you know, Bradish and, and Rodriguez weren't good. And maybe it was because they're both very talented. Maybe they just kind of ran out of gas in a long season for them. It's entirely possible. Maybe they get, go get a Verlander type at the trade deadline and the story's at least a little bit different. That's the thing I think we really need to see from them. And if I'm, if I'm in Baltimore looking at Texas and saying, can we take anything away from that? That would be the one thing is to say, we we need to go out and get some higher, try to target some higher end pitching as scary as that market can be. Cause obviously the Rangers, their big pitching acquisition last winter was Jacob DeGrom, which is kind of funny that they spent all that money on the guy and right. And win the World Series anyway, because they oh no, it had nothing to do with him, actually. At all. <laughs> hey, he got a ring too. Um yes, he did. Yep. <laughs> so zooming, zooming in on the Diamondbacks here, Mike Hazen said yeah. uh, even before the World Series started, he said, I hey, I regret not bringing in the start. Having Jordan Montgomery would have really helped us um a lot. So not that they didn't do anything. They brought in fam, they brought in Seawald. Um, and, and it's not that he didn't look for it. He said he chased every starting pitcher that was in, in the market. And there were mistakes to be made. Let's be clear about that. that 
uh, Montgomery was the exception here. There was a Lance Lynn out there. There was a Jack Flaherty. Even Aaron Savali was only okay. Uh, Michael Lorenzo threw a no-hitter, but was not even good enough to stay on the Phillies postseason roster for parts of the postseason. Um, there were guys that apparently were unavailable in Blake Snell, Marcus Stroman, Dylan Cease. Um, maybe Eduardo Rodriguez could have been, would have... Um, would have signed off on going to Arizona. We don't know if they pursued that one. So there were mistakes to be made and, and he didn't give up some of their top um, young players. He said, you know, I don't regret holding on to Alec Thomas and Brandon fought, but, but could have probably gone down other avenues with, with other, um, with other prospects to give up. You, do you agree with, I mean, I, the man says that I probably agree with it, but uh, we all thought they should have grabbed uh, a starting pitcher and they didn't do it. And they ended up uh, throwing a bullpen game. Is that, you you agree with uh, Mike Hazen that he should have done something more? I mean, I give him credit for being highly critical of himself yeah. and being extremely candid. You know, hindsight's twenty twenty, and he's actually using it to his detriment there. Um, yeah. You know, it's it, it's tough. I feel like I see what the Diamondbacks did this season, this postseason, going back to the trade deadline. I'm like, I don't want to say anything critical of them. They did great. He did great. They went way further than they should have. And I also look at their system and they've, because they've promoted so many guys and they did, you know, they made the trade for Seawalt in particular. Like, they're a little thin um, in terms of guys. They, who could, who else could they have traded? They're not trading Jordan Lawler, they're not trading Drew Jones, who, who was hurt at the time of the trade deadline anyway. And just his, his, Full season debut was just a fiasco for them. So it's not, you don't, even if you've decided you want to trade him, you don't do it now. So, you know, what could, what else could he have done? I think it would have been hard. I think it would have been really difficult for him. And God, if they traded Jordan Lawler for like Jordan Montgomery, who I guess turned out to be the best of all of those, uh, to all the starting pitchers traded, they would have been buried for that. And I don't know that I would have pulled the trigger on that. Jordan Lawler's got a chance to be a superstar. You don't trade that guy for a rental, um, especially when you're thinking you're, you know, you're hoping to get in as one of the wild cards. Yeah, I, he's he's being very hard on himself, and I understand. I completely understand the the motivation. I give him a lot of credit for saying it out loud. Right? Those are the thoughts you have internally, internal to yourself or internal to your organization. That he said that to one of our guys is very impressive. And I think tells you a lot about who Mike Hazen is as a person um, and that he has kind of has this on his conscience, but you know, that is to me an, an unfair criticism of himself. And I think if I were sitting next to him, I'd say, you did a hell of a job, man. Look how far this team got and look at where, how much of Alec Thomas, Corbin Carroll, Brandon fought, God, Lawler, he ended up on the playoff roster. He popped up in the World Series. I'm like, right, I'm doing the Leonardo <laughs> DiCaprio thing, right? I'm like, ah! Every time any prospect shows up, that's me. But I was just like, hey, look how much they did, right? And it shows you how strong the future is. And I got to say, like, this is a little bit of a tangent too, but I lived in Arizona for a few years. Obviously, I go there at least twice a year for work. You know, the thing always is there aren't really that many Diamondback fans because so many people in Arizona are transplants. They bring their fandom from somewhere else. Watching this World Series, uh, even seeing somebody I recognized on the TV broadcast, I'm like, that's Kinley from the Hillside Spot. I know I'm thinking, like, maybe this is the team that changes that now. They've been there for a while. It's a lot of homegrown players now. When they won in in 01, 
was a little different. It was a little more of a mercenary team. The fan base hadn't had time to kind of develop. But like Corbin Cowell's a freaking superstar, and they've signed him for forever. And they're yeah. going to have a couple of these guys now, right? They've got a couple. They're going to build a core that the fans will really be able to connect with. And it gives me some hope now. Maybe that franchise, this can be the team that, especially because I think they're going to make the playoffs several more times at least. Maybe this sort of locks in that fan base a bit more and, and even converts some of those Cub fans out there in Mesa. Maybe they change the say, oh, okay, I'll be a Diamondbacks fan. Because they're they're really fun. Like, I like watching this. I enjoyed this team's playoff run quite a bit because yeah. they're really fun. And, and again, Lavulo, I can't say enough. When Lavulo first got the job out there, I was I didn't think he was great. And he's really grown into that job. And his managing, his in-game managing this postseason was pretty spectacular at times. If I were Mike Hazen, I may have taken the out just to say, no, I I, I believe in Brandon Fott. I knew what I had in Brandon Fott. How about if, I to, if I have to take two two bullpen games in the playoffs, it made, means we made the World Series and that's okay. Um, yeah, that's like, right. That would be a great answer. So as also, we, you as, know, not for nothing, like they had other starters, but who like kept getting hurt or, or just like, I like Ryan Nelson. He might still be a starter, but it wasn't now, certainly. But if you look, when they got, into the series with the Phillies. I've mentioned before, my wife's a Phillies fan. She's like, all right, give me the rundown on the, on the Diamondbacks. And I pull up the Diamondbacks roster. I'm like, they have three starters. No, like only three starters on the roster. Like, nobody plans that. <laughs> that, is, that is something has gone very wrong. If you reach this point in October and you literally have three starters on your, on your entire 40-man roster. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So let's let's spin that ahead. So the rotation for next year, they have Zach Gallon through twenty five, Merrill Kelly mm-hmm. through twenty four with a twenty five option. They have Fott, who's uh, just finishing up his uh, rookie season. The other options, as I see them, because Dre Jamison just had Tommy John, would be uh, Ryan Nelson, Tommy Henry, Slate Tacconi. I think. Um, what do you think this this rotation looks like in 24 you you roll that group or do you sort of make a mea culpa move and go get a mid-rotation starter that they didn't get this year yeah well i think they're the team so and we can talk about the, the free agent class as, as a whole later on but there's some depth starters yeah there's this free agent class is not great but there are some depth starters out there they're the team that can go out and say we need a depth starter we don't need a one we don't even necessarily need a two always nice to have them you can never have enough of them but they need some innings, guys. Because um, you know what? Brandon Fott, since they moved him to, particularly to the other side of the rubber, he has been the Brandon Fott. Those of us who cover prospects thought he was going to be for quite some time. So I, I feel like you can feel pretty good about him locked into the three or four spot wherever you want to line them up. 
but it's also hard to look at him and say 180 innings next year, we're good to go, right? You're going to need to give him a blow every now and then because just to manage his workload, just so he doesn't get over fatigue, especially if you want to have him pitch into October. So getting some innings in there, even if it's just league average-ish, is going to be a huge, uh, I think should be their biggest priority. It's the thing they could do most to help this club because even other guys they have who have some starter characteristics or could project as starters, like I was talking about Ryan Nelson, and you're not looking at any of those guys and saying it's 30 starts, right? You you hope Ryan Nelson maybe makes 10 starts and shows some progress. And maybe he doesn't. Maybe he ends up in the bullpen because they decide to go invest, but in, in, in the rotation. But the goal should be bulk, bulk, bulk. We need innings more than anything else because – Honestly, the rest of the roster looks pretty good to me. Like, I really like what they've built, and it looks really sustainable. And they've got core um, young players to build around at several positions now, um, which also, by the way, gives them more financial flexibility to maybe go out and get and pay for that mid-rotation starter. And like you mentioned, there are a lot of them. We'll get to those in a, in a little bit. In the lineup for the Dynamax, there is some work to do. They have free agents heading out the door. Lourdes Gurriel Jr., um, that trade with Toronto, played, paid off for them. Um, Evan Longoria, Tommy Pham, it opens up some playing time, uh, left field, third base, DH. Uh, they do have some options in the outfield. Jake McCarthy, Dominic Fletcher, third base. We saw Emmanuel Rivera over there. I kind of wonder if they save money with internal options uh, in the lineup. And so they use that money on a starter. Um, but of course, you can do both. No rule against that. Um, and especially if they want to grab a starter for a couple of years because Gallon and Kelly aren't going to be here forever and you're going to need some starting pitcher help uh, down the road. Where are you, where are you sort of focusing um, on those internal upgrades in the lineup? Um, are there options there? Do they have to go outside? They could put Jordan Lawler at third base. I was going to um, ask about that. Yeah. That to me seems like the easiest thing. Third base is a, is a black hole and has been for quite some time out there, really since Jake Lamb started to get hurt and kind of derailed his career. They've not really had a, a good solution at third base, I think, since then. Um, and even that was pretty short-lived. So to me, that's the easiest thing they can do to inexpensively solve a, a lineup issue. And I, I do think Jordan Lawler's going to be really, really good. And I bet if they put him over at third base, it's going to be really good defensively too. Because I I know people, scouts, who think he's not going to be able to stay at shortstop. I'm not running him off the position yet, but I also recognize they have a really good shortstop who looked really, really good in the World Series yes. too. Slide Lawler over to third and bat him seventh or eighth for a good chunk of the year and let the let the bat develop and then put your money into the pitching staff. Like, that seems to me like a really good, a much better strategy. I mean, and you know what? And then maybe they choose to go get, um, there's not a lot of this help out there. Maybe it's trade rather than signing, but uh, you know another outfielder, especially Jake McCarthy, kind of took a big step back um, this year. And I mean, it, I do like him. I don't think he's a star, but if he's your third or tech, you know three and a half right, platoon outfielder or something like that, you're fine. It's the only other place I could see them really choosing to invest because also the infield market stinks. It's not like there's some <laughs> great third baseman out there where you know could they go get Matt Chapman? Sure. Is that the player I would want them to get if I were sitting there next to Mike Hazen and Amil Sade and all those guys and would I say that yeah let's go get him no I'd be like just just pitching man just go get pitching we're we're good on the position player side we got we got guys here we got a couple guys coming let us let's go 
and address the pitching side because that that is where they're thin. And I, in, even on the prospect side, they don't have a ton of um, – they don't really have a lot of pitching coming on the prospect side either, not close at least, whereas what they have coming – and I said, they, as I said, they've thinned out because of promotions and trades, but it's it's almost all position players. And so I would really very much say the investment in pitching is not just for 2024. It's like you said, they've got those guys might be leaving, Gallon and Kelly, that have to at least have to be re-signed at, at exp- great expense. So finding a starting pitcher who will get them through maybe three or four years would really be a better use of their resources. I was going to ask you about Lawler potentially moving to third because Geraldo Perdomo I don't know. There was a, there was a fan headline back in May. It said, how on the earth is Geraldo Perdomo pulling this off? This guy's hitting the ball with, with no barrels, no, no exit velocity yes. to speak of. Um, he's a good defender. doesn't have a ton of like uh, 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 steel speed, but he had 15 or so bags this, this year, but he gets his entire offensive value from his eye. There's no chase. There's no walk. I uh, sorry, there's no whiff, ton of walks, no strikeouts. And that, that, that guy can sit ninth in my lineup for as, for as long as he wants. And while he's doing that, he can play shortstop. Great. Now, if the bat completely falls off, okay, maybe, maybe uh, Lawler can still pick things up at, at uh, third base, but they, yeah. they do have options there because Kettle Marte has been, um, has really turned back into the guy we, we thought he was after um, a down season. And uh, boy, he was awesome in the postseason. So before we turn the page and, and head to the, the Rangers side of things, I do want to give uh, a shout out to to, to Corbin Carroll, uh, what he was able to do in his rookie season. Uh, we saw almost an identical uh, OBP uh, in the regular season and the postseason, 362 to 364. The slug was missing in October. It's like one thing he was... He was missing, but still in adding out of these totals together, 172 games as a rookie this year in postseason and regular season, 284 batting average, 365, uh, sorry, 363 on base percentage, 27 homers and 59 steals and 65 tries. That ain't just the bases, folks. That is some yeah. actual foot speed. Um, he just turned mm-hmm. 23 in August. The D-backs have him through 30, uh, 31 if they would like him, a uh, 2031, not his age 31. I'm even longer mm-hmm. than that, probably. Um, but I could think of I could think of worse players to build a core around. Oh my God. Credit to them too. When Cor- I remember when Carroll got hurt, especially I was I was always a Carroll guy back to high school. But when he got hurt that first season was 21, played a week, blew out his shoulder on a home run swing. And talking to people in the Dimebacks organization that summer, they were like, he's our he's our best prospect. It's not even close. Yeah, this sucks, but it's not going to hold him back. He's at the ballpark every day. He's charting. He's asking questions. He's watching pitchers. We've never seen anybody study the game like this guy. And they were right. Everything they ever said about their own guy. Because I mean, always a little bit of a skeptical. I have to be a little bit skeptical when teams are talking about their own players. Everything they ever said about him turned out to be true. And frankly, everything that I saw, everything that scouts said about him, you know, he has been every bit that player. And I'll go back to stuff I said in 2019. If that guy was six foot two, he would have been in the mix for the first overall pick. And I guess Diamondbacks have to be really happy. He's like five foot nine. Looking at the Rangers now, the now defending champs, uh, they're going to have some work mm-hmm. to do with with uh, remaking this roster a little bit. Although like, the important pieces, I think, are still there. Uh, in the pitching yeah. staff, Jordan Montgomery, Jake Odorizzi, <laughs> Martin Perez, Will Smith, Chris Stratton, Aroldis Chapman, Ian Kennedy all headed to free agency. In the lineup, uh, Mitch Garver, Austin Hedges, Robbie Grossman, Travis Jankowski, and Brad Miller. Garver, really the only one I think of, of, of huge consequence. They're going to, I'm sure, pick up the club option on Jose Leclerc um, as their yes. closer. So this pitching staff, they have Max Scherzer, 
43.3333 million dollars uh the, the Mets are kindly picking up a portion of that Nathan Navaldi is still here um for another year and potentially a, a third uh John Gray John uh, Andrew Heaney still there uh Dane Dunning still there and Jacob deGrom was yeah, at least last he talked about it talking about August uh potential August 24 return you just at that point just hope he's there for the playoffs if he's there right. great it's right. you just don't know wouldn't yeah. be the worst arm to have come the playoffs um no, right yeah. And so I don't think, I think the rotation is pretty much set there. They're not going to go get a free agent. I don't think. Um, but I want to ask like Jack Leiter, could Jack Leiter possibly be in the mix to uh, not opening day, but make the majors. He's had awful, awful numbers, even when healthy five plus walks per nine. Like what do they do with Jack Leiter? Yeah, I don't know. I, 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 I struggle a lot with that one because if you told me Leiter got into pro ball and the stuff just wasn't quite good enough, right? He he never threw super hard. And if you said the stuff, especially pitching every fifth or sixth day instead of every seventh, the stuff backed up a bit and he was getting hit too hard, I would have said, all right, well, yeah, that's not, was never out of the question. It's always a possibility with a guy like that, but that's not what it is. He's, it's commanding just control, which is to me just so shocking because this was a guy with a really good delivery who did seem to, he didn't have elite command in college, but you could see it there, right? This is a guy, again, a great delivery, apparently a really smart kid, according to the Vanderbilt folks and people who knew him going back to high school, even somebody you thought would be that kind of, would eventually be a real strike thrower who would get more outs because he could really locate. And he's been just dead opposite of that. And I don't have a good explanation for how that's happened. It also doesn't give me a lot of optimism. If I can point to something and say, well, it's a little bit of a delivery thing. Brandon fought on the wrong side of the rubber. Or, oh, he's been dealing with a nagging injury. I don't know anything about any of that. I don't have an explanation for that. So I don't want to say never. Guys certainly have shown up after an offseason looking totally different. Maybe he does. But I don't have any particular reason for optimism with him. Like I would feel better about, I know his year was not great, but if you said who makes more starts for the Rangers in 2024, Jack Leiter or Owen White, I would go with Owen White. Yeah. I still yeah. like Owen White more as a prospect. Um, and I think he's uh, – and I think the things that went wrong for Owen White are much easier to fix or deal with, maybe I should say, than what's gone wrong for Leiter. Yeah. The bullpen's going to need a little bit of attention with Smith, Stratton, Chapman all gone. I, I think they probably go do a little bit of work in free agency, picking up someone in hopes that they just aren't holding their breath every time the the guys go out in the late innings. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I think you kind of just thank the heavens that the things held together in the postseason and don't count on it happening again. So I would anticipate they yeah. probably do a little bit of work there. I could. Could you see them just trying to do a year with Chapman? Just quick, just going back with him and saying this worked out. Chapman, look, I even said in my free agent rankings, right? I wouldn't want him because of all the character stuff. However, if I'm just ignoring that for the moment, just talking in baseball terms, um, and you, you could talk yourself into Chapman, I think, and say all the character stuff as many years ago, or at least the public stuff. I'm not trying to, you know, I'm not excusing anything. I'm not trying to get into that. If you are just saying, can this guy pitch for us, throw 60 innings for us next year? And he was fine for them. I could see them doing that. Just saying, right, he's right here. Just the familiarity is there. Rather than going out and acquiring somebody else, Chapman is still pretty effective. And we've already got him. They have exclusive negotiating for a couple more days anyway. Like that's the one of all those guys I could see him saying, yeah, we'll just bring this guy back for a year. You can be 
you know, because you you could, he could be your seventh, eighth, ninth inning guy. He's got closer experience if you care about that stuff. And right, I, mean, I think and what you saw from him in the postseason is pretty much what he is. Yeah, he didn't he didn't pitch well enough to price him into a, a high contract or a two year deal. I don't think so. Just sure, no. the, the running back for for another year. Why not see if you get something and. If if he and Josh Boris can handle the seventh and eighth, like wow, that was unexpected. <laughs> Here we right. are. And then you're in good shape, right? Then you're right, like you know, if you're you want more, you always want more guys than that, of course. You know, and maybe Jack Leiter moves to the bullpen even as a temporary thing and gets a little bit of a velocity bump or lets you work with him a little bit. Like I think because there's going to come a point too where you can't just keep running Leiter out there at the same level in the minors. You bring him up to the majors and let him work with the major league coaching staff and see if they can figure something out. And maybe just make him a, a bulk guy out of the bullpen and see if you outlaw, which allows you to tinker with him kind of on the fly. Then they would be trying to fill the back part of the bullpen, um, which I think is an easier thing for them to do yeah. uh, in this market. Because again, the markets, there, there's some relievers out there. There, there are The relief market is certainly all the pitching side of the free agent market is way better than the position player side. There's some relievers. But relievers are also just a super risky group anyway, and you know, they just might just feel better saying we're going to target some guys with some one-year deals, and if we've got to rebuild that a little bit on the fly or you know move some starter prospects in our system to the bullpen, we can do that you know midseason. This lineup, I think they don't need to do a lot of work in free agency, which is good because there isn't much out there. The infield is totally set, right? Jonah Heim, yep. Nathaniel Lowe, Marcus Simeon, Corey Seager, Josh Young, they're good. Um, even you know, even if Nathaniel Lowe struggled a bit in the postseason, like they're sticking with him at first base. So, so kind of we're left with outfield and, and DH and outfield. I think they're they're fine. They had Leo Tavares out there, um, Tavares out there this uh, this postseason, and they have Evan Carter and Adolis Garcia. They're going to stay there, and you have White Langford waiting as well, right? And so I don't know that they need to do a lot there. And so Mitch Garver is the one that I could maybe see them trying to run it back because they like the two catcher thing, even if he wasn't really catching down the stretch. Um, you could maybe try to do that, but if Gar if Garver is going to take a, a significant contract, they probably won't do it. But um, but I think that's the only place they would really, if they want to, if they want to add impact at DH, they could do that. But they probably can just rotate in there. Yeah, the one thing I would probably like to do in their situation, so yeah, Langford's going to be ready very soon, if not opening day, pretty close. Um, so they've got four real outfielders like Langford. Langford's a corner guy. They've got two guys who can play truly play center in Carter and Leody. So they can rotate those four guys through the three outfield spots and DH. And then everybody pretty much plays every day. They wouldn't be the worst thing for them to maybe pick up another right-handed hitting outfielder because look, Evan Carter looked great in the postseason, but his limited track record in pro ball showed some weakness against lefties and you don't want to bench him against lefties permanently because he's got to learn and he's still very young and he just needs more at bats against them. But also there might be certain days where you say, all right, then, you know, this is a good day to give Carter a rest and have a right-handed batter, right-handed hitting outfielder on the roster to maybe give him a spell. Cause it's the one spot where there might be a little weakness there. Like if you're going to, you got to go get another outfielder anyway, you want to have one extra one so that those four guys aren't literally playing 162 games that would be the one thing I could see them doing. But like you said, they're I, they're pretty set. You know, Jonah Heim can be the everyday catcher, clearly. Like, I, I agree with you. I think Garver is a guy they're thrilled that they had him, but probably won't feel compelled to bring him back. If it's a multi-year deal, so we, we can put that 
money and that roster spot elsewhere. That's probably as much as anything else is just saying, we'll do something else with the roster spot. You had having Carter at number 10 in your midseason top 60. So it's, it's not like uh, he came out of nowhere. Uh, he always had high OBP, could play center mm-hmm. field if needed. We saw his defense and his offense and his wheels this postseason. Um, were you surprised by the impact you, you had him see in October? Yes. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, full disclosure, I was one of the many people when he was drafted in the second round in 2020, it was the heck like he was way off everyone's radar. I don't think anybody, I'm pretty sure the pipeline guys also didn't have him on their pre-draft. Definitely on our top 100. They go deeper. He was not on my top 100. I still remember the scout. I know down there. It's like, this guy struck out a ton in high school. You don't, how can you take that guy? Props to the Rangers. They had a hell of a draft that year. <laughs> Um, so Jay Thomas, so JC was in that draft class. He was the guy who, one of the two guys they ended up trading for Jordan Montgomery. Justin Foskey was their first rounder that year. He hasn't gotten to the big leagues yet, but he will, he, he might be a guy they trade this winter too. If they want to go the trade route to try to supplement, um, cause he's an infielder, try to supplement their rotation. He'd probably be the first guy to dangle out there. He had a great year in triple a, um, the walk rate might be a little inflated because walks we've discussed this, Derek and I've discussed this walks were way up in triple a this year. Still like, Justin Foskey looks like he can play every day for some teams right now. Um, that draft looks incredible, and they did a hell of a job on Carter. I think they knew Carter extremely well. Remember, it was 2020, so we didn't get much of a spring. And you know, the other thing that's interesting on Carter, too, he played a month in 2021 and got hurt. Now, the month was great. It was sort of like, I don't know what we have. We had like 100 at-bats. What? How much of a judgment are we going to make off of that? And that guy kept getting better once he started playing regularly in 2022 he just kept improving his at-bats kept improving his approach kept improving and it's why i i I don't really worry about him being a platoon player forever yeah he has not hit lefties that much in in pro ball so far however that guy's made so many improvements so far so many adjustments so far and really like the last 18 months since he's been playing regularly he'll get there at some point so yeah i'm surprised and certainly if I go back to what I thought on him in 2020, when I hadn't seen him, I just had info from other teams. Nobody else seemed to have him in a sec- in the second round like the Rangers did. But on the other hand, this guy just keeps getting better. Players like that, A, tend to become superstars, and B, you shouldn't be surprised when they do things like this, when they show up in the postseason and, God, that guy seemed unfazed by everything. Talk about your low heartbeat. You hit it right, just, oh, I'm in the World Series. I'm 21. I can barely drink. Clean up. <laughs> Betting cleanup. Right against like some pretty talented pitchers too. Yep, totally fine. Taking great at bats, making impact, hard contact, like you said, running like crazy. Yeah, guys who do stuff like that, it's not universal, but I just, yeah, they become stars. Yeah, I mean, you might argue already is one, but they, he's he's going to be really really good. I mean, they are the top three in their system, however you rank them. Him, Langford. And then the teenage shortstop, Sebastian Walcott. It's not going to be a shortstop, I think, long-term. But for a team that just won the World Series to have three prospects like that at the top of their farm system, dang. Good time to be a Rangers fan. Yeah. Guys tend to think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. I'm all set for summer thanks to Mack Weldon. The Vesper polo shirt is so breathable you can wear it on the golf course, but it looks classy enough to wear to a party. The Maverick Tech Chino short is ultra-flexible and the Pima Crew Neck T-shirt is perfect for those casual weekends. There's no need to be uncomfortable in your clothing. 
ever again. Some guys just want to look good without calling attention to themselves. Mack Weldon Apparel gives you understated good looks for understated confidence. Mack Weldon clothes are designed to fit your style and the demands of modern life. They look like regular clothes but feel like the latest in modern comfort. They're the go-to choice for guys who want to look great without even trying. Breathable underwear that keeps you cool, dry, and comfy all day. Crazy comfortable but elevated sweatpants. An upgraded classic polo with antimicrobial silver threads. An ultra soft antimicrobial tee for when you need to stay fresh longer. That's the Silver Crew Neck T-shirt. Get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code MLBSHOW. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com. Promo code MLB Show. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code The Athletic, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a fifteen hundred dollar first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. From that to the free agent bonanza that is about to begin, uh, Keith just put out his top 50 free agent rankings. Uh, Tim Britton on our site has been putting out free agent contract projections if you're kind of curious about what things are going to what guys are going to go for. Um, we're assuming for this that Marcus Stroman, Michael Conforto, Josh Bell, Justin Turner won't opt out. I think that's a pretty yeah. safe assumption. The, the shape of the market uh, is an interesting one. It is weak in general. Um, <laughs> you wrote there's uh, 11 potential free agent hitters whose 2023 production wasn't worth at least two F4. That is not a high bar, Keith. And now it's 10 because <laughs> Max Muncy has signed a two-year deal with the Dodgers. Let's just say you get in your rankings to Max Kepler and Heimer Condolera a, a little too fast for my liking. Um, yeah, they, Kepler, like, they just picked up his option too, so it's another one oh, to take right. off. So you're like, yeah. that's 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 all we're dealing with. So that leaves us incredibly starting pitcher heavy. Um, not the, the yeah. worst problem for a lot of teams because all of them come October, from come August are looking for uh, somebody at the trade deadline. So seven of your top eight are starting pitchers if we include Shohei uh, as a starting pitcher. So mm-hmm. how do you think that will? impact things, impact the market. Last year, everyone was waiting around for Carlos Rodon, uh, Clayton Kershaw, Jacob DeGrom, Nate Evaldi, Justin Turner to sign, or Justin uh, Verlander to sign. And there was like this middle class that was waiting. Now it's the top end of Aaron Nola, uh, Yamamoto, Yoshinobu uh, Yamamoto, Sonny Gray, Jordan Montgomery, Blake Snell, Eduardo Rodriguez I'd probably put in there. Um, how do you yeah. anticipate things playing out uh, this postseason? This Nola postseason. is the the one of that whole group where I wouldn't be surprised if he came off the board quickly. Yeah. I think the Phillies are incredibly motivated to re-sign him. Everything he said, at least, indicates he would like to stay in Philadelphia. I do think it's a pretty great fit. Um, 
and look, if he leaves the Phillies, you have to go sign somebody else also. This is not a situation where it's like, well, we're, we're going to let him go because we can't afford him. They just have to go replace him. And since they made some adjustments with him in September also, other than that very last outing of his season, he he looked much better um, from about mid-September onward. So I think if they had some trepidation on that front, that's probably eased. He's all those guys you just named, the one I think it wouldn't shock me at all within a week or so he signs everybody else. I could see, I could see this dragging on quite a bit. Um, I could see, you know, Blake Snell is with Scott Boris, especially if Snell does win the Cy Young award. Yeah. Does Boris kind of hold him out for a while? Cause he loves to have the last guy in his category, right? When you want a real starting pitcher, I got the Cy Young award winner right here. And there's nobody else on the market. So everybody's got to come to me. Great strategy. Absolutely makes sense to me. I could see something like that. One or two of these guys, particularly staying out there until we get towards Christmas, for example. Um, also very curious what kind of market we see for the two Japanese starters out there, Yamamoto and Imanaga, um, where you know Kodai Senga was not that well regarded by scouts I spoke to who spent time in NPB last year, and he had an unbelievable season for the Mets. And we are... It, you know, we are nothing if not prey to recency bias in this business. And so does that even boost the market for those guys? Yamamoto obviously comes over with it. Really, the only knock on him is his size. Are those guys, um, once they get, uh, once that, uh, once they're clearly coming over, did their markets get particularly hot early? Does that push back interest in some of the MLB free agents as teams try to figure out where those two guys are going? There are some other NPB free agents coming over. Those are the two sort of clear. They come over here and they're starting pitchers among that class. So, yeah, I think, I, I guess for predictions, I'd say, I think Nola comes off the board quickly. Snell might be the one who stays out there for a while, particularly if he wins the Cy Young Award, because I think Scott will try to set a really high price for him, as he should. Certainly, if he's got the hardware, it'd be his second Cy Young Award. Um, and then the rest of these guys sort of in that sort of great middle here, where probably a lot of this stuff happens maybe you know, right after Thanksgiving as we head towards the winter meetings. I always hope we get a lot of signings at the winter meetings anyway, because otherwise they're, they're kind of boring. Yeah, <laughs> just a lot of standing around the ballroom chatting. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I would, I would love to be privy to the conversations happening in front offices um, and with ownership about Blake Snell this offseason, because it's like, mm -hmm. listen, he's, he has, he has been great. He has the potential to be great, but also he leaves the majors and walks, and uh, no one can hit him, and sometimes they don't have to hit him, uh, and right. and it's it's going to be wild to see what somebody someone's going to pay a ton of money for him. He'll get what he has earned and deserves according to his numbers, but it is. It's a tough long-term bet to lay on somebody when you have Anola, who I would trust much more long-term, even Sonny Gray. Um, and uh, yeah, that'll be interesting. So if you look at this middle middle class, if, if a year ago the middle class of the starting uh, pitcher market was like Tyler Anderson, uh, Kyle Gibson, Jameson Tyone, Tyone Walker, Andrew Heaney, that type of player. This year it's more like uh, Kyle Hendricks, uh, Seth Lugo, Mike Clevenger, Michael Waka. You have some real wild cards. I, I, I consider those guys to be pretty reliable. You know what you're going to get? Lucas Giolito, don't know what I'm getting. Uh, Jack Flaherty, don't want to... Luis Severino, don't know what I'm getting. What? How How are you looking at sort of the... Uh, it's not even like the back end of that middle class. It's just like the, the question mark end of that middle class. Yeah. Um, yeah and even a lot of the guys you, you mentioned in the first group, like Walk and Clevenger, it's well, how many innings do I get? They're pretty yeah. good. 
when they're healthy. Seth Lugo, oh, well, God, he's, what is he, 33 or 34 now? And he's turned into this guy. He doesn't have a long track record. Maybe it's because he never got the right opportunity. I don't know. Like they're all, they're very hard guys to project. They're, it's this enormous group of guys I would love on one-year deals, except that's not how the world works, right? It's just whatever the market will pay, um, where some of those guys are going to get end up getting multi-year deals. Giolito and Flaherty particularly stand out to me as perfect guys for one-year deals somewhere to go kind of straighten things out. And I'm not saying I know exactly what's wrong or what ailed either of those guys in the last two months, particularly both guys changed teams. Giolito changed teams twice. Um, Flaherty changed teams once, and both guys were much worse after the trade deadline. And so is it health? Was it mechanical? Those are perfect guys, though, to go find the, the again, the Scott Boris pillow contract, um, where just go get a soft landing somewhere for a year, you know, right the ship, maybe figure out what is wrong, uh, what was wrong. Maybe it's just to need an offseason of rest and recovery. Maybe it is mechanical. I don't know. But those are there are a lot of those guys kicking around on the market this year where, especially if you're, I often call them scavengers, which is probably a little more derogatory than it needs to be. But if you're looking at that end of the market, you're thinking, hey, this Giolito guy was pretty good not that long ago. Maybe we take a shot at him for a year and you know throw some resources at trying to figure out what went wrong for him at the end of last season. Maybe if it's just a matter of, maybe it's a small mechanical thing. I don't know. Something like that to, hey, you know, if you hit, one year and $12 million. But if you hit, you get a $25 million guy or a guy you can trade at the trade deadline. I think he kind of works both ways. You could say if you, you could want him if you're a contender because you recognize the upside, you could want him if you're a rebuilding team saying that's a great te- great guy to pick up and maybe trade in July. I think yeah. there's a lot of that in the market. Severino, you mentioned, I I threw it out there. It's like, put this guy in the bullpen. And I always thought he'd have to be a reliever anyway for mechanical reasons. He doesn't stay healthy as a starter. And now he's not that effective as a starter. But somebody might pick him up and say, we want to start him and just maybe get him out of the Bronx and start over. Sure. A lot of those guys where it's like, you got to get a little creative at the back end, probably the whole back half of my list. I don't know where you'd put that line, but I'd put it pretty high actually where it's suddenly like, all right, you got to think a little creatively here. Yeah. We're going to see Scott Boris walk into all negotiations uh, regarding some of these guys like Lucas Giolitos and say, so we'd like a lot of money. You can throw me a multi-year deal, but I'm going to ask for an opt-out after year one. Of course. <laughs> we are going right? to take opt-outs. They are our friend. Yeah. That's absolutely. That's what they should be doing. Oh, many of these free agents, all these guys coming off of those years should should try to get that. If somebody wants to say, well, we want two years because if we're going to put this investment into you, right? We want to pick it up on the back end. Um, you see a lot of these with Tommy John guys. We'll give you a two-year deal because we're going to basically pay to rehab you in year one. And we're paying for what we're going to get out of you in year two. Um, but if you're Giolito, if you're Flaherty, if you're Severino, lots of these guys coming to the market, you wanted, uh, you know, Robert Stevenson's a guy I thought was really interesting because what was it about four months or so in Tampa Bay Four and yeah, about four months, he was one of the best relievers in baseball. If he goes out, does that, I mean, maybe he gets a multi-year deal just off of that, but if he goes out, does that for a full season for someone else, maybe he does parlay that to like a three-year deal, uh, next off season. So it makes it interesting i actually think this free agent market could be really interesting but it's going to be a lot of projecting and maybe wishing on some of these guys rather than feeling really confident what you're getting a year ago this free agent market was awesome the the free agent market was awesome it was one of the deepest classes ever and they didn't all work out but a lot of them did 
this year's not yeah. like that. Not at, no, not at all. And, and so let's leave things with the one position player that I'll have. I think GM's going crazy this this postseason, which is Cody Bellinger. He was number two on your list, and this it was the perfect one year deal for him. Uh, he goes to Chicago for one year, bats 300, 26 homers, twenty steals, um, very nearly gets them to uh, to the postseason. Which was which was unexpected. Perfect. Uh, I know they wanted to keep him. They would love to to keep him long term. But he's a Scott Boris client. He's going to hit the open market. Um, what do you what do you sort of sort of do if you're a GM looking at Cody Bellinger and you say we have a need at center field and he can absolutely be a plus uh, a plus plus option out in center field, but also it was terrible in 21 and was quite bad in 22. So we, I don't know that we can count on him on a six year deal to be an all star every season. Yeah, it's a risk, right? It it is the it's the the track record question works against him. Um, you know, it, 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 to a lesser extent, Jason Hayward, I think, is in a similar situation where both guys made really pretty significant mechanical changes, swing changes, and it changed their profile. And so, if you look at Bellinger, and that we our guys wrote quite a bit, especially about Bellinger's swing changes go just going into the season by the time he showed up in spring training the cubs had already kind of gotten their hands on him a little bit i think they signed him knowing certain things they wanted to do this is a great example of how a, a really well-run baseball ops organization operates too where they you know multiple people are talking to each other it's our coaches do you think what do you see do you see things you can do to help this guy get back to the hitter he used to be. Okay, we want to change this and this and this. And I wrote about some of those changes as well. And like I said, our, our Cubs guys did too. Um, how confident are you? Will, will you take one year of performance, but with clear, tangible reasons for the change in performance and project out five, six years on that? I think I would. If I think there's a real underlying, a clear underlying explanation that is the cause of the improvement, yeah, I would invest in that long term. I'm, I'm not giving Jason Hayward a six year deal. I said more with Hayward. It's like this just might keep him employed, which is very different than Bellinger's situation. But do I buy it? Yeah, in both cases, I do buy it. These guys, what we saw from them in 2023 is real and sustainable. And I feel much better about them going forward. And I do think, yeah, Bellinger's okay. Bellinger's not number two in last year's direct, uh, free agent class. This year, there weren't a lot of other options anyway. So I was like, well, I got to. Someone has to be too. You can't leave it blank. And it's like, yeah, I think I probably would. If I were in a front office, I'd say, yeah, I might not feel super great about it, but I would probably invest in this one long-term because this, and because he did do this before, before the injury, before the swing kind of got a little out of his control. We've seen good Cody Bellinger. We saw bad Cody Bellinger. And now we've seen good Cody Bellinger again. So I, I would do it. And I say that as someone who's generally, Pointing, I pound the table for track record and larger sample sizes all the time, but I do buy into when we can see the mechanical changes, when people describe them, the player can talk about them, and then we can actually see the evidence in person on video, whatever. That's when I'm say I will say, okay, I will accept the small sample size and project forward on that basis alone. Yeah, Bellinger wouldn't have been number two last year. Hayward wouldn't have been number twenty-three. The way he played in twenty-two, he no. wouldn't even been on the on the list last year. On the list? Um, no. Pretty, oh my pretty, god pretty crazy what he rediscovered um in los angeles but uh keith we're gonna hit the exits here thanks for listening thanks to tim mcmaster for producing today's show you can find our work all week long at theathletic.com subscribe to the athletic for two dollars per month for the first year at theathletic.com slash baseball show the athletic baseball show will be back on monday have a great weekend 